Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We have had uh, prayer and fasting all this week. And uh, if you're like me and you have small humans that are dependent on you, that meant that you just had to make sure that you were making school lunches and, and, and there was meals prepared and doing the shopping for other little people that were hungry. And so on um, Wednesday, I went to the shops with my daughter, Eliana. She's my youngest. And so we had made it through uh, all the aisles and I'd got all the food that we needed to get. And we were just pulling up uh, at the checkout. And, and right as we did, you know that they always put those hot cross buns like right there near the checkout, you know. Uh, so anyway, um, I, I was putting the food through and Eliana said, oh, dad, can we please get some hot cross buns? And I was like, oh, what do you want hot cross buns for? I know why she wants hot cross buns. I love hot cross buns. That's probably why I didn't want her to get them. And so anyway, the, <clears throat> there was a lady that was next to me putting her food through. And she said, oh, come on, Dad, get the hot cross buns. And now I feel like everyone's ganging up on me. And so I said, all right, go get the buns. You know, so she went and she got them and she brought them back. And I scanned them, put them through the register. And the lady, she said, oh, well, now you guys can both go home and eat them. And Eliana says, oh, no. Oh, no, Dad's not eating this week. And, and she said, what? She goes, no, Dad's not eating. They're all for me. And, and she said, really? Your Dad's not eating? She looked at me and I said, and, and, and she looked at me like, you know, is that true? I said, yes, it's true. I'm, I'm not eating this week. And she was like, what, is this a religious thing? And I said, well, actually, it kind of is. And she said, oh, wow, so you're, okay, you're fasting. She told me she had this Jewish boss that used to fast from time to time. And so she was kind of asking me questions about it. And I guess I thought even admitting to it was a little bit funny. I, I just kind of thought the whole thing was hilarious. I cracked up laughing as, 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 it, as it all came out. And, and I guess it was a little bit strange. But you know what I've discovered is that I'm okay being a little bit strange. I'm all right being a little bit strange. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to blend into the world so much that you are indistinguishable from those that do not follow Jesus and those that do follow Jesus, can I tell you, you got the whole thing wrong. You're not supposed to just blend in. You have been created by God to in some way to stand out and to make a difference. We are supposed to be in the world and, and, and be connected to the world, but, but not be of the world, you know. Like we don't have to lay down our, our values and, and our belief systems to still connect to the world. We, want to, we need to be part of it. And I'll tell you why I think it's so important. Because Jesus loved the world. That's why He came. In fact, the Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And whoever believes in Him will never perish eternally, but they will have eternal life. See, God sent Jesus before the world was reconciled to Him, before the sacrifice, which tells me something very important, which is that He loved the world in its fallen and its broken state. And I think it's so important that we recognise that God loved us before we were perfect. You don't need to fix yourself up to come to Jesus. In fact, this is why we call it the good news. The bad news would be if you had to fix yourself and make yourself perfect before you came to God. People tried that for thousands of years. It never works. The one thing we all have in common is that we've all made mistakes. The Bible calls the mistake sin. It says it like this. 
for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we are not able to be perfect. Every single person in this room has that one thing in common. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, that puts Him uniquely in the position to be able to forgive sins. So when we want to be forgiven for the wrong things that we've done, we go to Christ who paid the penalty for us and we say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And we ask Him to forgive us for our sins because He's the one that paid the penalty. Now, this is how the whole thing works. If you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then by faith, what you are doing is agreeing to the fact that when He died uh, thousands of years ago, that the penalty He paid on the cross is relevant for you today. And that's why we say that we're saved by faith through, uh, through Christ, but saved by grace through faith in Christ. And it's very important that we understand that. Why did Christ come? Why did He die on the cross? Because He loved the world. And if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, I think you need to do life the way that He wants you to do it. It's important to love the world. It's important to go after it. And that's what we want to do. We wanna be people that influence the world around us for the kingdom of God. Because we also love the world, we wanna make sure that we influence the world and in some way make it better. So we started a series this year. It's our theme for the whole year. It's called Lead the Change. Now, if you're here today and maybe you don't have an official position, you don't have a leadership title, you, there is, you don't even know what an org chart is and you're not sure how you fit into the grand scheme of things. You don't understand that. Maybe for you, uh, you think, well, I, I, the only person that I have in my life is just me and my bestie or maybe it's just me and my spouse. You need to understand that when we talk about leadership, we mean influence because that's what leadership really is. And you need to understand that your influence doesn't just stop with the people that are immediately around you. Yeah. One of the things we now, we now know is that your influence actually moves through the people around you. So you be who you are and it doesn't just impact the people around you, but it impacts your friends, friends, friends. It's so important that we lead the change, the right and positive change and lead people towards the kingdom of God. Um, I wanna preach a message to you guys today. It's called Look Up. I'm gonna read to you out of Genesis chapter 26, beginning in verse 12. It says, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Amen, that's a good return. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names, uh, the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also 
so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. They shall be fruitful because they found a well. Can I tell you that a well in the desert is a total lifesaver. A well in the desert is a total lifesaver. You might not really think about it because when you're thirsty, you go to the tap and you get some water. Just It's like magic. It just comes out. But if you're in a well, if you're in a desert and, and everything's dry and arid around you, you need access to water. You need fresh water. And water is the source of life or a source of life in the desert. Wells... In, in the Old Testament, they often represented places of great influence because of that very reason, because of what would spring up around them. And if you found there to be a master of a well, someone that owned a well, then that person was normally wealthy, that person was powerful, that person had title, that person had position because a village would spring up around that well and there was a well master. So the master of the well had influence. Now, the Philistines, they, they didn't actually like all of the influence that Abraham had. And when they saw Abraham's son Isaac come along, they said, we don't want him to have the same influence as his father. So they devised a plan and their plan was pretty simple. It was to fill up all the wells with the earth. And in fact, in another translation, it doesn't just say to fill them up, but it says they tried to hide the wells so that Isaac couldn't find them. If he couldn't find the wells, then he wouldn't dig them up and that would limit his influence. And so they understood that they would increase his influence if he found the wells. If we hide the wells, he's not going to have it. And here's my point. Recovering the well recovered the influence. And I think that this is a message for the church today. We need to recover the well of influence that the church has had in the past. This is a message for the church. If we find the well, the source of life, then everything will flow out of that. I don't know if you're aware of this, but according to current trends, researchers predict that by the year 2067, it will be the effective end of Christianity in Britain. In Scotland, it's even worse. And that's a scary place to be. In fact, Christianity is declining in nearly every Western nation on the planet. It is interesting to me that in the nations where Christianity is outlawed, that the church is alive and well that it's growing, it's flourishing, that the, the gospel message is being spread. But in the land where we are allowed to worship God and we have permission to do that, the church is actually declining. It's weird that nations overseas, they think they have so much to learn from us. I think we have everything to learn from them. I'll tell you what the Western church needs. It needs a revival. When I say revival, I don't know what comes to your mind. Maybe outrageous meetings where crazy things happen and 
you know, all kinds of weirdness is happening or everywhere. And I don't know what you think of when you think of revival. But Charles Finney, who is often called the modern father of revival, was involved in some of the greatest revivals that the world has ever seen. He wrote extensively on the topic. And this is what he said. The foundation of every revival is not signs and wonders and the miraculous. The foundation of every revival is people putting their lives in the hands of their Saviour, Jesus. It's all about leading people to Jesus. That is the foundation of revival. I think that's what we need. Now, if you're new to church and and you're listening to everything that I'm saying, I want to tell you that this message is incredibly important. And when I say this message, I, I don't mean just what I'm saying right now. I mean the gospel message. See, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that when people ask Jesus to forgive them of all the wrong things that they've done, that in that moment that they'll be forgiven, that they receive salvation because of that request, because they prayed in faith, and then they go on to live with God in eternity. Of course, the opposite is also true. If people do not put their faith in their lives in the hands of Jesus, if they do not ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins, they go to an eternity without God. Now, there is a name for that. We don't talk about it in church all the time because to be honest, it's not the sole focus of church. And I have no need or intention in any way of scaring people into making a decision to follow Jesus. But the practical reality is if you don't have faith in Jesus, you end up going to hell. Now, hell is not a place that God devised to send people. And I tell you this, God never sends anyone to hell. People send themselves there. Because what God did, and this is why we call it good news, what God did is He sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. And every single person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was enough for all people, for all time. And anyone that calls on Jesus will experience the reality of that. But that is why it is so important that for us as a church, we lead the right kind of change in our culture and society and step up to the plate and tell people the truth about life, death and eternity. We need to be the church and we need to lead the change on planet Earth. What we need to do is redig the wells of influence because I tell you the truth, the kingdom of God has not been diminished in its power in any way, state or form since, you know, when you, know, when you read the Scriptures and, and you see what happened, you know, what, how God moved in the Bible and you read that and think, oh, that was so good. That, that's not history, everyone. God is no less powerful now than He was when He moved on the earth when we read the Scriptures. It's exactly the same. So what we need to do is redig the well of influence. What you need to know is that the world is looking for God. I believe it 100%. I don't care what anyone says because I believe the world is looking for God. Because people that claim to have no faith in God doesn't matter what they say they believe. People that have no faith in God in the most tragic circumstances that they've ever faced, they often will still cry out to God. They are hoping that He's real. They are hoping that He exists. And if they are hoping in that moment that there might be a God that actually does love them, let's not sell them a cheap substitute version of who God is. What they need is the real thing. We don't want to give them a cheap substitute. In Mark 
7, 9, Jesus said to the religious leaders of the day, He said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Isn't that sad? When the church is more concerned with tradition than the actual words of God and the teachings of Jesus, when we get fixated on things that aren't even biblical and committed to rituals that people don't even understand the purpose of, got to follow the ritual with no understanding on why it might have been founded in the first place. If we establish a church based on our traditions, we end up getting churches that look more like museums than churches. If you want to know what the world looked like 500 years ago, there's a couple of churches you can walk straight into and realise that's how they did it back then. It's like the whole world has moved, but not the church. The church has decided to do things the way it was 500 years ago. When we fall in love with things that are outside the message of the gospel, and we have fallen, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm all about social justice, but if our message becomes exclusively social justice, then we get churches that look more like charities and a note for their service in the community and not their salvation work. And that's not what the church exists for. I'm all for work in the community, but the church first and foremost exists to extend the kingdom of God and to reach people that don't know Jesus. What we need to do is to teach what the Scriptures teach and to help people identify who God is and what He's really about. The early church was filled with ordinary people that did extraordinary things. Extraordinary things by ordinary people. You think about it, look at some of Jesus' disciples. You had Peter, sometimes called foot-in-mouth Peter, on account of the number of dumb things that he might have said at different times. He asked the wrong questions at the wrong times and was inappropriate other times. And even though despite that he, he got so much of that stuff wrong, it's the same Peter that came and preached the Gospel to a crowd of people that 50 days earlier were very happy to see Jesus nailed to a cross. And so Peter goes out to the very same people and begins to preach the gospel and what should happen. But 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus on that day. That's influence. If you look in the Scriptures and you read the stories about these ordinary people like Matthew, who, who was this guy that was a tax collector. And, and, and the Jewish people, they hated tax collectors because what the tax collectors would do is they would buy the tax debts from Rome and then they would pass them on to the Jewish people. But they'd always add a little bit extra in to line their pockets with. And the Jewish people never trusted them because they said, you're stealing from your own people. And yet this person that most people would, would regard, it was funny the way that they would write it. They'd say, sinners and, and tax collectors. Like they, like they have their own special category. Are you, a, you could be a sinner or a tax collector. I don't know what's worse. And, and so anyway, they have these two categories and, and not Jesus. He sees the ordinary and decides to do something extraordinary. In fact, if you look in the Bible and you read the New Testament, Matthew wrote the first book that we read in the New Testament and he followed Jesus and preached the good news to people that would listen to it. This is what God does with ordinary people. Imagine Philip. Philip is, um, 
What of Jesus' disciples who becomes this incredible evangelist and, and, and he's sharing the gospel with one person and there seems to be this sense of urgency for the earth to understand the gospel. So God makes Philip disappear in one location and transports him to another location, an absolute miracle. I've asked for that many times, never experienced it. <laughs> and he transports him from one place to another to preach the good news. These are ordinary people, but extraordinary things are happening with them. In fact, I quote the Bible when it says, these men have turned the world upside down. They changed everything. They influenced the world. Paul, we've come to know him as the apostle, but you should know that he was a, a murderer of Christians that was seeking to put them in prison before he wrote more theology in the New Testament than any other author. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Can I tell you that God constantly redeems the ordinary and can make it extraordinary? If you read the book of Acts and you, you see what the early church did, they, they saw signs and wonders. The way that we would refer to that is we would say it was a, a manifestation of the Spirit of God. If you read the Bible, it talks about people having spiritual gifts it's the Spirit of God that's actually doing that, by the way. The word manifest means to make something plain and obvious. It's probably easy if I explain it to you like this. If you saw someone raise another human being from the dead, you'd be pretty certain that something spiritual is going on there. And so it becomes obvious. What is that? That's the manifestation. It is plain and obvious that something is at work and all of those things continued to point to God. The early church didn't just see signs and wonders, but they were incredibly generous. In fact, there were, you might not know this, but there was uh, Jewish uh, 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 people that were wanting to be Jewish priests, you know, and, and they were studying uh, their, their faith and, and hoping to make it up into the usher echel, upper echelons of the, the Jewish community. I, I try to think about them as poor uni students, you know, that are working hard and they're poor and they're hoping that one day they're going to make it. But a lot of these uh, people that were studying to be Jewish rabbis, they were poor, they were broke, they had nothing. And while their own people would allow them to exist in that state, they couldn't help but notice this incredibly generous group of people called the Christians, which means little Christ, by the way. And the Christians were so generous, the Word says that what was happening is they started to convert to Christianity because they saw the love and the generosity. See, it's important to love our world. It's very important to love our world. And they started to now follow Jesus because of the generosity of the church. Wow, the church wielded incredible influence when it first came out on, on planet Earth. And all of this stuff, it flowed from a well that gave them great influence. If you want to influence the world, you don't need to discover something old. But what we need to do, you don't need to discover something new. You need to rediscover something old. It's always been there. We just need to look at it again. We don't, we don't need the newest and the latest. What we need is what was done back then. We need the power and the presence of God. If you want to change the world, you need the power and the presence of God. I want to tell you this morning that there is no substitute for God's presence and God's power. There is no system. There is no strategy. There is no org chart. There is nothing that you can substitute for the presence and the power of God. And if the church wants influence, you don't need to look in and you don't need to look out. You need to look up because that's where it all comes from. In fact, Jesus said to His disciples, 
don't even think about departing Jerusalem until you've been filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, He he will fill you and give you power. That's what we really need. He said, if you wanna go and do ministry, you need the power and the presence of God. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened to them? They became anointed. The word anointed, it means in the Scriptures that people are often set apart for a specific and divine purpose. In the Bible, you'll see that when they anointed people with oil, what they would do is they would pour it out all over them. Now, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And what it was meant to signify is that the Spirit of God has come upon someone to give them divine favour and enable them to do what would ordinarily be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So the Spirit of God would fill people so that they could accomplish their ministry. Now, if you're here today and you say, that is great for them, but what about me? I tell you the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to ministry. You don't come here to watch ministry. That's not what's happening here. This might be ministry, but this is not where it stops. Because each one of you have your own assignment. God has given you a sphere of influence. And in that place with your unique call, giftings, your time, your talents, your treasure. You use everything that you have to chase down what God has for you on planet Earth. That's what it's really all about. I can tell you there's no power in ministry without the Holy Spirit. In case you haven't connected the dots, the Holy Spirit is the well. He is the source from which all of this flows. What we need to do is redig the wells of our past and we need people to be filled with the presence of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God so that they can go out and do all the things that we read. Whenever you see people intimidated and, 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 and running scared and ducking for cover and blending into the world, oh, I'm not so sure that the Spirit of God has completely filled a person like that because the sign that the believers were filled with the Spirit of God, one of the things that would mark them was this boldness that would just emerge out of them. And they would speak out in faith. And we've seen that time and time again. The reason you need the power of God is because you can't actually do this without God. In fact, here's what the Bible says. It says that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. That's His job. You do the presentation, it's God that does the spiritual work in the background. You can't always see it, but you see the effects that it has on people. You know, you explain the Gospel to someone and they don't get it. You tell them about the good news and they don't believe it. You tell them again and again and again, but you know when the Holy Spirit goes to work because they get it. What happened in that moment? It was the Spirit of God that revealed something to them, convicted them of the fact that they're not really living the way that God wanted them to live. And in that moment, they will choose God. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Jesus said to His disciples, you will be my witnesses. That sounds nice, but I'll tell you what it actually means. The word witnesses, it actually means martyrs. That doesn't sound as exciting, I know, but... You should know that advancing the kingdom has always had a price. It costs you your time. It costs you your talent. It costs you your treasure. Sometimes it costs you your reputation. 
but nothing advances the kingdom of God on earth like the church. It is His chosen agent through which He decides to work. If you stick around church long enough, you might hear somebody say, let us be your hands and your feet, God. What we're really saying is, God, would You work through us to accomplish everything You wanna see on planet Earth? The way that God extends His Kingdom is through His church. And I tell you that the church is not a building, it's His people. God is pushing back the darkness and the enemy of our souls by advancing through His people. That's what the church is really all about. And if you ever find a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit and has people that'll pay the price of ministry, That is a church that will change the world. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.